Together this month, we're exploring the wonder of Christmas. If you remember in week one, we defined this word wonder, and we said wonder is surprise mingled with admiration at something beautiful, unfamiliar, unexpected, or inexplicable. I love that element of it, that in wonder, the foundation of it is a sense of surprise. Now, there's something amazing about uh, the Christmas season when you experience a great surprise. Uh, maybe you unwrap something that you kind of had hopes that maybe I will get this, but deep in your heart you thought, like, there's no way. And then you get that amazing gift or maybe something that you didn't even know that you could want and somebody uh, thought of it or created it or made it or put it together for you and you have this amazing surprise. Or, or maybe my favorite surprise is uh, when you want to see that loved one, but you don't think that there's any way you're going to see them this Christmas and then they show up and you have that, that big surprise. And you know what it feels like when you have you just that, that wonder of being in surprise? And then there's a whole other level. There are gifts that we experience, maybe not just at Christmas, but we experience in life that are so much bigger and the surprise is so much bigger. I mean, there's those gifts that you cannot wrap and put under the tree. I mean, things like, well, you make the team that you didn't think you were going to make. Or maybe you get accepted into that program that you didn't think you were going to get into. Or you get into that university that you thought you had no hope for. Or what about this one? Uh, you get the job. Or he or she says, yes. Or for me, what's deep on my heart is you pray and you pray and you pray for that child. And then finally the day comes and you get that news that you're going to have a child. Now, here's what all these have in common is that not only are they surprising, not only are they wonderful gifts and blessings, but every single, single one of them, they also come with a sense of fear attached because the question is, now what? Right? I, I made the team. Now what? Uh, I'm in the program. Now what? I got the job. Now what? She said yes. Oh my goodness. Now what? <laughs> or if you're a parent, right? God answered that prayer. Oh my goodness. Now what? Where's the manual? What am I supposed to do? And there's a little bit of fear that comes with that. But what I hope that we understand in life is, is that it's not always a bad thing. That sometimes we don't need to run away from the fear, but we need to embrace the fear because it comes with it, this sense of, God, you are moving. God, you've brought this into my life. It is scary as all get out, but God, I cannot do this without you. Because the whole point is, is we're not supposed to do it without God. And there are times where God will move in and he'll give something to us. He'll call us to something so that we can understand we cannot do it without him. And I would say for me, the most wonderful, beautiful, awe-inspiring, but also scariest gift I've ever received is the call to join with God and what he's doing. And listen, this is not a preacher thing. Because every single one of us, if you said yes to Jesus, if you're following Christ, there's a call upon your life that should move you to wonder. It should scare you to death. But it should pull you into God. So here's the miracle of Christmas. The wonder of Christmas is not just that God sent Jesus to fulfill his plan, which he did. 
but that God trusted that plan to human hands. You ever just try to wrap your mind around that truth? And this is the wonder of Christmas, that God stepped into the world, but not as a full-grown man. He didn't show up as a king over the nations. He didn't come wielding a sword. He came as a little baby trusted to a teenage girl and a young man who had no clue what was about to happen. And that's the story that we're invited into. Two people who could not, who would not do it on their own. They were desperate for God, but God showed up. That's the miracle of Christmas, that we have God in the flesh. He is with us. So let's take a look at the story. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Just try to wrap your mind around these events. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel shows up to Mary and tells her, you're going to have a child who's going to be the Savior of the world. In Matthew chapter 1, the angel shows up to Joseph. Mary's pregnant but stick with her because the child is of the Holy Spirit. God's about to do something brand new. I imagine both Mary and Joseph paused for a moment and thought, what in the world? Of all the people on earth, God, like, why me? Why is it? I mean, there was definitely a sense of surprise. Can you imagine the surprise, right, that, that God's going to, move in this way but maybe there was also a sense of uh, frustration like why are you going to do it this way why me why not somebody else but this is the wonder of God's call on our lives is that God has a plan that God's going to bring about it's often surprising it's never the way we would do it but it's always bigger than what we could write for our own lives hey this is the wonder of the call is that sometimes God's call can feel like an interruption. Can you relate to that? God shows up and, and gets to meddling in your life and he interrupts. I mean, think about Mary and Joseph. I don't know how you read the Bible, but this is one of the ways that I read the Bible. I, I, I kind of get lost in the things that are not there. And I start to ask questions about, well, why aren't the details about this there? And so my mind starts to wonder, like, well, what was life like before this for Mary and Joseph? I mean, were, they had an arranged marriage, but did they fall in love? Did they have hopes and dreams about their marriage like any young couple would? Did they have hopes and dreams and expectations about their family? 
Do they think we're going to have three kids or five kids and, and these, maybe one of them will be a rabbi or maybe one of them will, will follow the family business or you know, maybe we'll have a little girl or what were they thinking and feeling? What was their story like? And right in the middle and all we get from it, the whole picture that we get in scripture is, well, before they were married, she became pregnant. And there's so much in those words there. There's a lot in those words before And yet God stepped in and he interrupted all those plans and he interrupted all those hopes and he interrupted all those dreams. And some of us have experienced that interruption, right? Like, God, what in the world? Can you please go interrupt somebody else? And I've got my own plans and I've got my own hopes and I've got my own dreams of what I want to see happen. But what Mary and Joseph would come to figure out and what we will discover if we're willing to go with God in the places that he calls us to go and say yes in the places where he calls us is that it's not just an interruption, but there's something more to it that God's call is actually an invitation. It may feel like an interruption. It may feel like a disruption. But really it's an invitation that God is inviting us into something that we could never accomplish on our own. When God interrupted the life of Mary and Joseph, it wasn't just to disrupt them and send them off in a direction that they didn't know what to do or where to go or how it would happen. It was to invite them to be involved in the activity of God in a way that would change their life and their world and the greater world. I mean, there's a major, major, major interruption here. And Mary and Joseph were left with some big choices. I mean, in Luke 1... When the angel comes to Mary, she says, well, I'm the Lord's servant. I will do as you say. But you know what she had to do after that? Every single day when she woke up, she had to ask herself, am I still okay with this? (laughs) I mean, I'm not a woman. That should be obvious. But I imagine that there were days that she woke up pregnant and were like, I'm just not okay with this today. (laughs) I'm feeling really uncomfortable today. Or when she began to think about the implications of this, of what this would mean for her. She had to come to a place again where her heart had to settle on, I'm the Lord's servant. Uh, Whatever he does, whatever he says, I'm in. Because this wasn't just a disruption. This was scandalous and it was even dangerous. When the Old Testament ruling, if you were to get pregnant before you got married, was to be killed, to be stoned to death. Now, by this time in the first century, a lot of rabbis had kind of softened on that position, but I promise you, it was still severe. And it was extremely dangerous, if not for their life, at least for their livelihood, uh, their career, their relationships. I mean, think about uh, the Christmas story, and we'll get into this part next week when you come back on Christmas Eve. But in Luke chapter 2, they're looking for a place to stay, and there's nowhere to stay, right? And listen, there weren't hotels. It wasn't like there wasn't an available hotel. They were looking for family and friends to house them and there was no room. And I've got to believe that part of that was because of the scandal of it. You can't come in this house. Not like that. And think about Joseph and the decisions he had to make. I mean, he had decided, I'm going to divorce her. I'll do it quietly because I love her or maybe it's just out of compassion And the angel convinces him, no, you need to wed, you need to get married, follow through. But that was just the first decision. Then the very next sentence it says, and you are to name him Jesus. It's the the version of the Old Testament name Joshua, which means God saves. 
But it wasn't just the name that was important. It was the the fact that Joseph was going to name him. Because in giving the name to the child, what Joseph was doing was adopting that child. It was Joseph saying yes to the commitment that I will be the father. I'm not checking out. I'm not going to be absent. I'm not going to be distant. I'll be engaged. And then on the other side of that commitment was the commitment to raise that child. Can you possibly imagine, like I'm, as a father, I, I wake up every morning wondering like, how did I get into this? Like, what am I supposed to do? I, I, I need some help here. Can you imagine raising the son of God, the savior of the world is put in your hands? He was certainly not equipped. And he had to be in a place of just like wonder. You know, wonder in a sense of like awe, but like wondering, like, I wonder what in the world I'm doing. How are we going to get through this? And yet God would take that commitment. Where Mary and Joseph said, this is definitely an interruption, but I see the invitation in it. So I'm, I'm going to be in, not, you know, begrudgingly, not with a sense of bitterness, but a sense of anticipation and excitement and readiness. Like this, I'm going to be a part of what God's doing. And because they were willing to do that, they got to experience an unbelievable move of God that changed the world for the rest of history and for all of eternity. So the question comes up for me. I don't know if you struggle with this, but the question is, well, how do I have that kind of heart? Because for me, when God interrupts, I get frustrated. Like, God, did you not understand? I've got my bullet points for the day, my checklist for the day. I've got my calendar is already full. I don't need your interruptions. Go interrupt somebody else who's not doing anything. And I forget that the invitation is in the interruption. And so how do I have a heart to embrace the interruption, to know that there's an invitation? And so I was praying about it and struggling with it and wrestling with it. And I got, God, where do I I find the answer? And I was taken back to an Old Testament passage where there's another individual who's also interrupted, but also has a heart to come to God with a sense of expectation and anticipation, not one of frustration. And I was looking at the passage and I discovered there's some elements there for us that we can embrace in our lives that will help us to have a heart to join with God. So Isaiah chapter 6, we meet the prophet Isaiah, and he has this interruption, an encounter with the glory, the majesty of God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, and these are Isaiah's words. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Now with two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, 
Here am I. Send me. So here's Isaiah completely interrupted with this unbelievable vision of the glory of God. The presence of God shows up on his doorstep and he's overwhelmed. And yet somehow he gets to this place at the end of this interaction where he says, Lord, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to join with you. Will you send me? How did he get there? How do you and I embrace the wonder of the call? Well, the first thing that we see with Isaiah is that we've got to confess and repent. I mean, God shows up. You see the seraphim, these angels. They're in the presence of God and the, the glory of God is, is filling the place. And what is Isaiah's response? Like, oh, I should be here. This is good. No. Woe to me. I should not be here. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. What he's saying is, God, uh, you are holy. You are perfect. You are glorious. And I'm greedy and selfish and prideful. I, mean, I tell lies. I look out for me above all other people. And what he was worried about was that being in the glory and the presence of God, he was about to meet his death because he was unworthy. And so he cries out in confession. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. We're all jacked up. We're all broken. We're all full of sin. What hope is there for us? And he confesses this to God. And he's changing the direction of his life. If he's going to join with God, he's got to do something different. And that's what repentance is. We're going one direction and we turn around and we go the other. And this is absolutely necessary for us if we're going to join with God. We have to have a heart and a posture of humility. And let me tell you why. It's not just because the glory of God, the perfection of God, and that would be enough if just on its own. But when we come to God with a prideful heart, what we're basically saying is, God, I want to do what I can do. And I can promise you one thing. What you can do is always less than what God can do. If you want to lower that ceiling in your life, you just come to God and say, well, we're going to do this my way. We're going to do what I can do. What would it mean for us to say, Lord, I don't want to do what I can do. I want to do what you can do. What does scripture tell us? That there's nothing impossible for God. How many of you would like to live your life knowing that God's at work in my life and there's nothing impossible for God? And to get there, we come to him and we say, Lord, we can't do this my way. We can't do this based on my ability. I confess I'm broken, sinful. I need your forgiveness. And I want to change direction. And here's the wonderful thing. Scripture tells us that if we're faithful to come and confess our sin, that God is faithful to what? To forgive. And so we've got to accept forgiveness. The angel takes a coal from the fire, from the altar. Now in scripture, the altar was always the place that represented an offering, a sacrifice made to God to atone, to cover, to deal with our sin. Sin separates us from God. And so there was a sacrifice made at the altar to join us back with God. And so the angel goes to the place that represents our rejoining to God based on a sacrifice and he touches the lips of Isaiah with that coal. And what does he say? Your sin, it's gone. It's dealt with. It's covered. It's atoned for. 
You are forgiven. And we know that in our head, but how many of us, you've experienced this. I know I have. You go to the altar. You go to God in prayer. You confess that sin. God, this is something that happened in my life and I don't want it to continue. And I'm feeling guilt about it. I'm feeling shame about it. I want to lay it down. God, forgive me. God, help me. God, help me to, to move toward you. And God says, you are forgiven. And you feel this weight lifted and this freedom. And then you wake up the next morning and it's right back on you. And you're living in that shame. And what Isaiah's example for us is to understand that the, the guilt is gone. We've got to leave the shame in the past. And so many of us, the reason that we don't want to join with God is because we're feeling the shame of, of what we did in the past when God says, you're forgiven. And so we've got to accept that and step into the presence of God and move with him. And then when we do that, this is critical. We've got to come to God and reject excuses. This is where I go from preaching to meddling. But it's on me too. What did God say? Who will go for me? And that's the very same question God is asking us. Who will go for me? Who will go into their school on my behalf? Who will go into their workplace on my behalf? Who will go into their community on my behalf? Who will go serve in their church on my behalf? Who will go to the broken and the rejected and the set aside with the love of God on my behalf because we are sent in the name of Jesus and filled with the Spirit of God? Who will go? That is the call upon the church today. And yet our response too often is maybe somebody else. And then we come with all kinds of excuses because we need to justify that response. And so we say, well, I don't know enough. Or I don't have the experience. Or I'm too young. Or I've got a bad reputation. Or I'm not able to do that. I don't have time for that. Don't you know I'm important, God? I've got a full schedule. Or, or maybe this is what breaks my heart the most. And, and I'm not pointing a finger. This is, I'm owning this on me. Where we say, you know what? That's just not comfortable. I'm uncomfortable with that. And this is where we have to be so very careful as Christians because there's this phrase that we throw around. Now, we, we base it in Scripture. And it has to do with a feeling of peace. Now, I want to make sure you understand. Scripture does say that when we come to Christ and receive him, we have peace with God. We have a peace in our relationship with the Lord. And there will be times where God leads us into a place that's scary and frightening and uncertain. And we'll have a peace come over us. But don't you understand that sometimes in the beginning, when God first starts to call you, there is no peace? Because you're scared to death. And you have no idea what it's going to lead to. And it's risky. And it's uncomfortable. And maybe that's right where we need to be. Because for me, God often does his best work in my heart and mind when I'm uncomfortable. And so we've got to reject excuses. And when we do that, finally then we can be available. And that's what Isaiah said. God's like, Who's, who am I going to send and Isaiah raised his hand and said, I'm, I'm available. I'm not sure if I'm worthy, 
I'm not sure if I'm qualified, but I'm available. Send me. Would you send me, Lord? And I, I love how the story plays out because it was in this commitment that Isaiah made to be available that God positioned Isaiah in ministry to a guy named King Ahaz. And King Ahaz, the, the king of Israel, is ruling the nation when foreign nations start to bear down on them. And an army is coming against them. And God positions Isaiah to comfort and encourage and challenge King Ahaz and to be a minister to him and to give him guidance in what God was calling him to do. And he says, the Lord is going to move, not just in your life, but on behalf of all the, his people, he's going to move in your life so that you can be a blessing to them. You need to be ready. You need to be available for what God's about to do. And for you to build your faith, God wants to give you a sign. And so just ask God whatever sign you want so God can show you that he's with you and he's about to move. And Ahaz, out of this great pride, says, I don't need a sign. I don't want a sign from God. Basically saying, like, I got this. And because God had positioned Isaiah, because of Isaiah's willingness to be available, Isaiah was able to prophesy to Ahaz about this coming army. And we read it in chapter 7. Verse 13, then Isaiah said, hear now you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will con conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now here's what I want us to see. This prophecy was fulfilled in the life of Ahaz, there was a young woman, that's what that word virgin means. It was a young woman who had a child. Most scholars believe perhaps Ahaz was the father of this child as a sign that God was with him. But it was way more than this. What did Matthew say? This is a fulfillment of the prophecy that a virgin will conceive and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Here's what I know about, uh, about Isaiah. In his lifetime, he had no clue that this was coming 740 years later. Now he could have evaluated his life, his faithfulness, the success of all that he did based on what he saw in the short term. And it would have been good. For many of us, we would really struggle if we based our life on the short term. But God wasn't looking at the short term. God always has a long view. And many of us have been frustrated. We've limited ourselves. We've wanted to, to walk away from God's call because we're just looking at the short term. I want you to understand God is moving in your life if you will say yes to him to do things in your life, but also beyond your life that you will never see with your human eyes. Your faithfulness, saying yes to God, being available is going to impact your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren and generations to come until Jesus comes back because God always has the long view. Don't short circuit yourself with your eyes on the floor. Look up.
What is God doing in the long run? So the question comes up. When God interrupts, am I just going to see the interruption or will I see the invitation? Am I going to be ready? Am I going to be available? Will I be expecting God to do more than what I see right now? We have got to have that kind of faith or you will limit yourself your whole life. Because really, it's not about what you do. It's about what God does through you. And God is eternal. He's always doing more. And so I wonder where is the position of our heart today? Are we like Mary and Joseph? Certainly surprised, certainly interrupted, but willing to say yes. Are we willing to be like Isaiah to say, Lord, I'm not qualified, but thanks be to God that you cover that, you forgive, you atone, you deal with it, you redeem. I I may not be the one that's qualified or have all the answers, but I'm available. Would we have that heart? Maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online and God has been trying for a long time to interrupt your normal, to interrupt your ordinary, to give you something extraordinary. Maybe he's trying to change the direction of your life where you stop depending on you and you depend on him. You let his grace move into your life and give you that forgiveness you've been longing for and you've been carrying the shame and the the weight for a long time. Today could be the day that you step into his grace and say, Lord, you have forgiven me. Or there might be somebody in this room or watching online and you really don't want me to say this, but God's been calling you maybe into ministry, a full-time vocational ministry, maybe as a, a servant leader, Maybe in the church to, to step into a role that he's been calling you to for a long time and you keep saying no. And you made all the excuses. And I'm not going to convince you and nobody else is, but you're, if you're willing to listen to the Spirit of God, he's inviting you. Will you be available? Will you be ready to say, I'm here. Will you send me? So if you'll stand, I'm going to pray for all of us that we would say yes to that call. As scary as it is, we would be filled with a wonder of, Lord, why in the world? You're the God of the universe. You can do anything you want to do. Why why use my hands and my feet and my voice? But for whatever reason, God does it, God does it. And he's inviting you. Will you receive it? So let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for being a God who stepped into our world. You weren't waiting for us to figure it out or get ready or be enough or be qualified. But you came into the world and you took on flesh as a baby. You put the life of your son into human hands. God, and you put your kingdom so often into our hands and say, will you join with me? God, that is so scary. 
Would you give us faith to say yes? Courage to say yes? Wisdom to step out? Would you fill us with your spirit? Empower us, Lord. For those, Lord, who have never really received the forgiveness and the mercy of God, interrupt their normal right now. By the power of your spirit, make the gospel clear. Bring them to faith for the first time to receive salvation. God, for the people listening who you're calling to either a volunteer servant leadership or into full-time ministry or part-time ministry, Lord, would you speak to them right now by your spirit, interrupt their normal, interrupt their ordinary so you can bring the extraordinary God, please. And give them faith to say yes, to be available, to be ready, to anticipate what you're gonna do so we can be a part of the, the long view of what you're doing. And we pray this in Jesus' name and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.